proof of God's amazing love is this, that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. It's good to think about that for a minute. We didn't come to him. We didn't somehow reach out to him. He came to us and moved towards us in salvation in Jesus Christ. The scripture says because we have faith in him, we dare to approach God with confidence. In faith and repentance, let us confess our sin before God and before one another. Let us pray. Most merciful God, we confess that we were captive to sin and could not free ourselves. We have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart, neither have we loved our neighbors as ourselves. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us. Forgive us, renew us, and lead us so that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways. To the glory of your holy name, amen. Please stand for the assurance of pardon. People of God, hear the good news. We have an advocate with the Father who is Jesus Christ, the righteous one, and he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Brothers and sisters in Christ, I declare to you as a minister of the gospel that all those who have faith in him and do repent of their sin are truly forgiven of all their sin. This is the good news of the gospel. We say together, praise be to God. Beloved people of God, Jesus said, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. Furthermore, The apostle, Jesus' apostle said, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme. It's not just what the Lord said. That's important. We, of course, need to understand what the Lord is saying and what his apostle is saying here. But it's the fact that the Lord said it and that the apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ said it. The Lord of heaven and earth, he is the one who has said these things to us that relate to this political sphere. The Word of God does not address elections in particular, such as we have this week, but it does put politics into proper perspective. Christians are to respect the institutions that reflect God's order for society, like marriage, like family, like the government. Even if these are corrupted, which they always are, we've got to kind of accept that, (laughs) in this sinful world, they are always corrupted. So even while we try to improve and sometimes have new governments, they will always be corrupted. And sometimes they need to be reformed, but that doesn't mean we're to toss out those institutions. This is true for marriage, it's true for family, it's true for uh, the government. We are to respect the establishment of these institutions. The Word of God also puts the political Uh, puts the political reality or realm in in our world into its proper place. So it's not just simply about respecting them, but having a proper understanding and, and, and understanding the proper place of the political. Our politics are not as great as God. God and the kingdom of God are of greater importance than our national politics. Our Lord transcends our politics Our nation's politics still matter, but not as much as we might think. And now's the time of year or the time of the season when we might think that they're a whole lot more important than they are. It's not to say they're not important, just that we need to keep them in proper perspective, the political, the election, the process that's going on. However this election turns out, think on the bigger things of Christ and seek after them. For this is God's will for us in Jesus Christ, and let us say...
Amen. Our hymn is number 348, Jesus with thy church abide. Jesus with thy church abide, be her Savior, Lord and guide, while on earth her faith is tried, we beseech thee hear us. Keep her life and doctrine pure, grant her patience to endure, trusting in thy promise sure, we beseech thee hear us. May she one in doctrine be, one in truth and charity, winning all to faith in thee, we beseech thee hear us. May she guide the poor and blind, seek the lost until she find, and the broken-hearted bind, we beseech thee hear us. Save her love from growing cold, make her watchmen strong and bold, fence her round thy peaceful fold, we beseech thee Brave to suffer toil or loss, counting earthly gain but dross, we beseech thee hear us. May she holy triumphs when overthrow the hosts of sin, gather Let us bring our prayers together and bring them to our Lord. Let us pray. Eternal Father, we rejoice in your blessings and we trust in your good care for us. You are inclined to us. You're not a God, a deistic God who started things up and walked away or, or stepped back, but you are inclined toward us and you hear our cry through Jesus Christ. You are good and faithful and you remember the needy. As you have cared for us, we bring our prayers to you for this world and for Christ's people. Hear us, O blessed God. We make petitions for this sinful world, a broken world full of lies and doublespeak and arrogance and exploitation and violence. 
While we wait for Jesus to come and bring all things to your perfect end, we pray that we might be able to make or to bring changes that improve this world as witnesses to your kingdom. We pray for those in their various occupations and vocations. We pray for those who work in the home, those who labor in companies to make good products, those who give medical and social aid, those who uphold justice, those who paint and build to improve our living conditions, and so many other vocations. We do pray for the people also who have had to contend with the aftermath from storms in Florida. Here are our prayers for the service and the work that needs to be done and that we do. O Lord, for those who lead us, for our representatives and senators in this upcoming election, for the governor, the election for the governor, we pray that those elected would be for the improvement of our society to uphold what is good and right. We pray to this end that you would guide the deliberations of our leaders and bring to nothing morally wrong plans. For those who frame our laws and keep order in our society, we also pray for them, for judges who interpret the law. May they rule in humility under your authority and recognize your moral order for this world. May our civic order and laws be for everyone's well-being, and may the church be free to live out its faith in the public square. Here are our prayers for those who lead us and for the church in our society. We do pray for those in need, many different kinds of needs, those for whom life is a hard struggle, those whose lives are clouded by death and loss, by pain and disability, by discouragement and missed opportunity. And for those who come to mind, hear our prayers. For those in the circle of friendship and love around us, children and parents, sisters and brothers, friends and neighbors, you who often care for us with great sacrifice on their part and yet grow tired, need rest, need encouragement, we pray for those who come to mind. For the church, which proclaims the gospel both here and abroad, that she would witness to your word, she would be merciful, and that she would be faithful to Jesus Christ. May your church always have a concern for sinners. May it serve one another and help the weak and needy. We especially pray for John Terrell and the mission work in Door, Michigan, and for the Delphils, the De- uh, Octavius Delphils and his family, and Ben Hop and his family, who serve in Haiti, and Ben Westerveld in Quebec. And the Christian churches in those lands hear our prayers. Father Almighty, we give you thanks for the great community of faith, the church that has gone before us and into which you have brought us. We thank you for those who have kept safe the scriptures and written our songs that we sing in worship, built our sanctuaries, taught us our faith, and shown us love for you. Grant to each of us grace in our day to love as faithfully as they have, to give as generously to those who come after us, and in so doing, may we show forth your love 
for us in Jesus Christ. We pray now for healing and strength of faith for those in this church, among our friends who are sick and ailing and grieving and recovering, may be fearful. We pray for Frida, for Eduardo and Shirley, for Leah's family, for Jeff and Linda, for Bob and Fawn, for our children who are, who are learning and being taught, also for our friends Becky, Mrs. Mesner, Bob, Phil, Tom, Angie, Karen, Dominique, and others we name to you in silence. Allow us to return the proclamation of the gospel to the prisoners at the Oakland County Jail. We thank you that that seems to be opening up now, and we pray that soon we'd be able to actually enter and lead our service. And may it be heard with faith and faith created in that place. Bless those who are in need of your bountiful care and mercy. Hear our prayers that we make. We make them with thanksgiving and trust. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power in the glory forever. Amen. Let us present our gifts and offerings to the Lord.
The scriptures tell us that we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. So let us pray for the aid of the spirit in receiving God's word as it's read and preached. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we echo the prophet. What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. Father, as we come now to your word, to hearing your word, we, we pray that while... Certainly our imaginations cannot contain you. We do pray that by your word you would kindle our imaginations, our hearts and minds, to more deeply anticipate and rejoice and long for you and what you hold in trust for us in heaven. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. We begin our Old Testament reading in Jonah, the first six verses. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went on board to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. Our Psalter reading is in the bulletin from Psalm 38. O Lord, all my longing is before you. My heart throbs, my strength fails me. My friends and companions stand aloof from my plague. Those who seek my life lay their snares. And meditate treachery all day long. But I am like a deaf man, I do not hear. Like a mute man who does not open his mouth. I have become like a man who does not hear. And in whose mouth are no rebukes. But for you, O Lord, do I wait. It is you, O Lord my God, who will answer. For I said, 
who boast against me when my foot slips. And my pain is ever before me. I am sorry for my sin. And many are those who hate me wrongfully. Accuse me because I follow after good. Oh my God, be not far from me. O Lord, my salvation. Our epistle reading will be from the book of Hebrews, but from chapter 12, rather than the verses uh, indicated. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And now for our gospel reading in Mark. And as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came, and seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, You also were with the Nazarene Jesus. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. And he went out into the gateway, and the rooster crowed. And the servant girl saw him and began again to say to the bystanders, This man is one of them. But again, he denied it. And after a little while, the bystanders again said to Peter, Certainly you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. But he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. The word of the Lord. In our gospel lesson, Peter is juxtaposed to Jesus. I'll remind you what juxtaposed means. It means placing different things side by side to compare or contrast them. And actually, we do this all the time. The Apple iPhone software, as far as I know, it's the newer software. Maybe it's been there for a long time, and I just just happened to get a newer phone. But the Apple iPhone software has a black and white feature for your photos, so you can change a photo from color to black and white, and you can create this contrast. I do this with my wife. I juxtapose things. When she walks past someone tall, I... um, I do the same thing. I juxtapose her. She's short. She's five foot one inch. If someone nearby in the store is six foot five or taller, I ask her to saunter over to that person and stand near him or her in juxtaposition. It's absurd, I know. It's my kind of humor. Um, And she usually ignores me and walks away. 
While my wife's juxtaposition to tall people is superficial, Peter's juxtaposition to Jesus is a serious matter. And there you have another juxtaposition between something lightweight and something weighty, between something trivial and something profound. Peter was juxtaposed to Jesus, and if we think about it for a minute, aren't we all juxtaposed to Jesus, especially since he is the Lord, he's the Son of God, through whom all things were created, who upholds all things and is the only Savior from our sin. Being our Lord, being the creator of all things, you and me, the whole human race, is juxtaposed to Jesus, especially because we've sinned against him. Peter remained nearby Jesus even though he ran away from Jesus when he was arrested. Jesus was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane, and Peter ran away with all the other disciples. The Jewish leaders and the temple security forces followed Judas to the garden, and they placed Jesus under arrest. We've heard that story. I preached on it just a couple weeks ago. In the garden, Mark tells us in chapter 14, verse 50, they all abandoned Jesus and fled. Peter forsook Jesus with all the other disciples. And the next thing we hear, Peter slipped into the courtyard of the high priest's house while Jesus stood inside before the great Sanhedrin council. We heard this in our gospel lesson from last week, Mark 14, 53, and 54. Those verses, Mark says, And they led Jesus to the high priest, and all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes came together, and Peter had followed him at a distance right into the courtyard of the high priest, and he was sitting with the guards and warming himself at the fire. Peter abandoned Jesus, and then he was near Jesus. Peter was like a ghost lurking in the shadows. He was like an MSU fan wearing neutral colors sitting in the U of M section of the football game two Saturdays ago. Peter was trying to stay hidden. He was unnoticed. But Peter also wanted to know what was happening to Jesus, even though Jesus had told the disciples three times what would happen to him before all this happened. The scripture says, and he began to teach them that the Son of God, uh, the Son of Man, must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. Peter forsook Jesus and he was near Jesus. And here we have an ironic juxtaposition. Ironies show up over and over again in scripture, including the irony of running away but still being near. For example, Adam and Eve turned away from God, and yet they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the Garden of Eden. Israel abandoned God for the idols of other nations. We can read about that in the book of Judges and some of the other writings in the Old Testament. They abandoned God for the idols of other nations, but they cried out to God when they were enslaved to those same nations. The prophet Jonah desperately tried to run away from God, but ran into God on the sea. The double irony of Paul at the Oropagus in Athens talking to the Greek intellectuals who had kept a plethora of statues dedicated to the pagan gods, so just one pedestal after another with the statues of these gods, and then one statue dedicated to an unknown god. And the Apostle Paul saw the irony in this, and he picked up on it right away, used it in his speech to them. And then he said to the Greeks something else that's ironic. It's really a double irony. But the other thing that is ironic is he said the nations had the hope that they might feel after God and find him, and yet he's not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. There's an irony in that. 
Peter ran, ran away from Jesus at his arrest, and yet he was near Jesus. Peter wanted to know what was happening with Jesus. He had followed Jesus for three years, and during that time he had traveled with him day and night. Together they walked along the Sea of Galilee into the Decapolis in the region of Tyre and Sidon in the Jordan River Valley through Judea into Samaria and in many towns like Capernaum, Nazareth, and Jerusalem. They had stayed in houses together and rested out in the wilderness. For three years they had shared their meals together and on many occasions the meals were extraordinary meals like the one at Peter's own house where Jesus healed Peter's mother-in-law, and then they ate together. Or Jesus' multiplication of the fish and the bread and the feeding of the 5,000. And, of course, the Last Supper in Jerusalem just a few days before, well, really just a day before um, this uh, time when Peter is in the courtyard. Peter had run errands for Jesus on their journey together. And perhaps, we don't know for sure, he was one of the disciples that Jesus sent into Bethphage to retrieve a donkey for him to ride into Jerusalem. Mark doesn't name those disciples, but perhaps it was Peter. Certainly there were other errands that Peter would have run. Peter and Jesus had talked together. Sometimes Peter spoke ignorantly like he knew more than he did, such as when he urged Jesus to stay in Capernaum, although Jesus planned to go out to other towns to preach the gospel. Sometimes Peter was brash with Jesus, such as when he rebuked Jesus for declaring Jesus' death. Or when Peter proposed building three permanent dwellings for Jesus, Elijah, and Moses when Jesus was transfigured on the mountain. As for Jesus, his conversations with Peter and the other disciples were sometimes cryptic, sometimes confrontational, sometimes directive, and always compelling. Such as when he said, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. For three years, Peter had listened to Jesus. All of his teaching, all of his sermons, all of his parables, all of his debates, all of his sayings such as the parable of the mustard seed, and Jesus saying, the Sabbath was, not, was made for man, not man for the Sabbath, so the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. And for three years, Peter had marveled at Jesus. He was amazed when Jesus forgave the paralytic his sins and healed him. He marveled at Jesus' teaching in the synagogue and the exorcism of the demon-possessed man, and he was astounded when Jesus calmed the storm on the sea. During those days, Peter had confidence in Jesus. Peter had even responded to Jesus' question, Who do you say that I am? Peter responded with the answer, You are the Christ. And he said it confidently. Now, one doesn't forget all of that while running away. What thoughts and feelings must have stirred about within Peter as he made himself as small as possible beside that fire in the courtyard. Peter was shrinking while Jesus was standing tall and remaining firm in the middle of the council at the high priest's house. There was Jesus going forward to the cross, faithful unto death. He never denied who he was or why he came. Jesus was not glancing about looking for an escape route. He did not make a sudden dash for the door. 
There he stood, never pleading or trying to make a bargain. He accepted no plea deal from the Jewish authorities. He did not blame anyone for his arrest or for being put in front of the Sanhedrin, although he could have. He could have muttered, that miserable human race, if only Adam and Eve had not sinned. If only Israel had obeyed God's commands. If only the nations had not sought after other gods. If only Judas had not sold me out. If only these wretched Pharisees, priests, scribes, elders, and Sanhedrin would listen to me. But he didn't do that. He did not blame, attack, or begrudge anyone. In fact, he kept talking about how everything that happened to him was according to God's purpose to save the world. No, rather than blame and point the finger, Jesus stood alone in the middle of his enemies and affirmed, I am the Son of God, the Christ. Jesus made his confession of faith. He affirmed who he was. Peter's denial is juxtaposed to Jesus' faithful confession. Peter, the denier, Jesus, the ever true, side by side in sharp contrast. Peter's denial is complete and total. Peter denied Jesus three times with the ominous rooster crowing to announce it was complete. And there's a progression with Peter's denials. You know, see, Peter wasn't just repeating the same thing over and over again. Each denial was worse than the one before it. The first time Peter denied Jesus, he was by the fire in the courtyard. And one of the servant girls recognized him and said, You were with the Nazarene Jesus, verse 67 in our text. Peter said, I don't know or understand what you mean. Peter played dumb. Jesus who? I don't know what you're talking about. His first denial was trying to dodge any kind of knowledge of Jesus. The second time Peter denied Jesus, he was in the passageway leading into the courtyard. It wasn't just simply a door frame like this. He was in this passageway that led from one area to another. And the servant girl saw him again and announced to everyone, This man is one of them, verse 69. It was like a game of hide-and-go-seek, and she kept finding Peter, shouting out, Here he is, here he is. That's annoying. The pressure was heating up, and this young servant girl would not let it go. She saw Peter and called called him out as one who was associated with Jesus. And Mark doesn't quote Peter. Mark just says, but again, he denied it. This time, however, was worse than before. Peter did not try to dodge the question and feign ignorance. This time, Mark says, Peter flat out disassociated himself from Jesus. Peter cut Jesus off from himself, or you might say himself from Jesus. And the third denial was the worst. The servant girl raised the suspicion of other people nearby, and now those people get into this, and they recognize something about Peter, even though he was flickering in the shadows of the gateway, and it was his accent. They confronted him. Certainly, you are one of them, for you are a Galilean, and Galileans would have had a different accent than the people there in Jerusalem. This time, Peter did not play dumb. He did not simply say, no, I, he, he did not simply say, no, I am not one of, these, of his disciples. With the third denial, Peter goes all out. Mark says that Peter invoked a curse upon himself and made a solemn testimony. He took a vow as if he were in a court. I do not know this man of whom you speak, verse 71. 
Peter's denial was signed, sealed, and delivered. It was complete. Peter was not a disciple who just dropped out or stopped going to church or stopped reading his Bible or stopped praying every day, who slowly let the Christian doctrine go, who, who just sort of meshed in with the culture. He didn't just gradually slip away. Peter completely and totally denied Jesus. And upon hearing the rooster crow, Mark says that Peter immediately was filled with remorse. It's interesting, the the verb there um, talks about him throwing. It doesn't have an object. So there have been a lot of different commentators who've tried to figure out, okay, through what? But probably it's just he threw himself down on the ground and wept. But that changed nothing. Peter, the disciple of Jesus, had become Peter, the denier of Jesus. And it was not just a denial in his own head or in his own heart, like you might have something where you occasionally have these thoughts. Peter had publicly, solemnly disowned Jesus. Peter's confession of Jesus had melted into a puddle. Peter was over and against Jesus. Now, on the other side of the courtyard was Jesus. Things were getting progressively worse for him also. Many accusers were presenting testimony against him. It was false. Their testimony was false, but it was amounting to a landslide that intended to bury him. Jesus made his affirmation before the Sanhedrin council. In response to the high priest's question, Jesus affirmed that he was the Son of God, the one anointed by God to save the world from its sin. And after that, everything crashed for Jesus. Everything took a nosedive. The Jewish council flew into a rage. They declared he deserved death. Some of them began to beat Jesus. Violently, they sent Jesus over to Pilate, the Roman governor. In Pilate's court, Jesus was condemned. He was whipped and mocked and tortured. Then he was handed over to the Roman soldiers to be hung on a cross and killed. And that all happened. And I said it fast, and it happened pretty fast, if you think about it, in in the sequence of time. But throughout his suffering and death, Jesus never changed his affirmation. He did not adjust his testimony. He might have said, I did not mean I am the Son of God in any unique sense. What I meant is that we're all children of God, and I'm one also. He might have said, you misunderstand, misunderstood what I said. I was just making the objective observation that there is one who is the Son of God, the Messiah, who will come. Well, Jesus did not try to soften his affirmation, nor did he straight up deny it like Peter did. Jesus resolutely maintained his affirmation to the end. Now, we need to hear this. Peter's denial, as bad as it was, did not thwart the Lord. It did not stop the Lord. It was, it, it's not that Peter's denial did not matter. Of course it mattered. Faith in Jesus is the way we, we, we receive the benefits of Christ's salvation. Faith in Jesus is the church's testimony to the world that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and the Holy One who saves us from our sin. Without that faith, the church's witness fails. However, even with Peter's denial, the Lord accomplished his plan of salvation. Before Jesus was arrested, before the scene in our lesson this morning, he foretold of Peter's denial. And he did this right after he instituted the Lord's Supper. Jesus told his disciples that they would all abandon him. And he said it before they did it. He quoted the line from scripture where God says, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. 
Peter confidently said he would not forsake Jesus, and Mark says all the other disciples agreed. And then Jesus said, Truly I say to you, this very night before the cock crows twice, you will deny me three times. It was more than just, and this is something that that I've realized needs to be emphasized more in the preaching of New Testament. When the New Testament quotes something from the Old Testament, it's more than, than Jesus knew what Peter would do. Jesus was expressing God's plan to the disciples, and that's how it's signaled in the New Testament that uh, often, not always, but often, the quoting of the Old Testament relating to current events is a way of talking about God's plan. God is, is working out his plan. So by quoting scripture and saying what would happen beforehand, Jesus was telling them God's plan was happening. God's plan was being worked out even though Peter would deny him and Jesus would be arrested and put to death. Or maybe we should say even with Peter's denial and Jesus' arrest and death. And this is good news, right? We're very glad for that, that God is working his purpose out even though there's sin in the world, even though there's denial and unbelief, and even though they put Jesus to death. That is good news. But Peter's denial still separated from Jesus. That's the problem. Peter's denial still separated him from Jesus. He's still on the other side of the juxtaposition. His denial created that juxtaposition. Jesus on one side, Peter on the other. Nor was it only Peter who was in juxtaposition to Jesus. It could happen to any of Jesus' disciples. We all know of Christians who were baptized and who professed their faith, but later they denied Jesus. They might be family, members, and friends. Sometimes they're famous, like the comedian Kathy Griffin, who was raised in a Christian home, baptized, and confirmed. At the 2007 Emmy Award, she made headlines with her acceptance speech, and they actually deleted out some of what she said. If you go online, find it out. I'm not going to say everything she said. But she made headlines with her acceptance speech where she said, A lot of people come up here and thank Jesus for this award. I want you to know that no one had less to do with this award than Jesus. And in a very vulgar way, she renounced Jesus, and then she said, This award is my God now. As far as we know, any of Jesus' disciples, even you and me, could deny Jesus and end up on the other side of the juxtaposition. So here's the problem. Denial and faith in Jesus are side by side. Denial of Jesus and faith in Jesus are side by side. They're in juxtaposition. How do we get from the one side to the other? How do we get from the denial of Jesus to faith in Jesus and stay there? And this is no hypothetical question. For many people, their Christian faith is weakening today. Christians are dropping out of the church. I just saw a report that the mainline Presbyterian Church, I used to be a member of that, I used to be, I was ordained in it, lost 700,000 members in the last 10 years. It's a lot of people. I have a dear friend who was baptized and who professed his faith in Jesus and has been a member of a church his whole life. Recently, he said he wasn't sure about the Christian faith anymore and the existence of God. How do we get from one side of the juxtaposition of denial to the other? Well, this is where our epistle lesson clarifies it for us. And I originally was going to go with Hebrews 3. You can go home and look at it, um, 3, and and then jump to chapter 4, because in it it talks about Jesus as the the priest of our confession, and I forget the other... um, 
word that's used for him. And, it, and it's very helpful, but I think it was simpler just to use Hebrews 12. Hebrews 12, verse 2 says, We continue in faith by looking to Jesus, the author, or ESV said the founder, and perfecter of our faith. Jesus is the author of our faith by completing his mission. So Peter's denial did not thwart Jesus, didn't stop Jesus from doing what he came to do, didn't stop God's plan. Jesus uh, is the author of our faith by completing his mission, in spite of all the disciples abandoning him and in spite of Peter's denial. After Peter's denial in the courtyard, Jesus was handed over to the Roman court for trial. He was sentenced to death, and Jesus walked on to the cross where he was put to death. And Jesus completed God's plan for our salvation, and he was raised victorious. And this becomes the substance of our faith. So what do we confess? You'll do it in a minute. We say we believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, who for us and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate of the Virgin Mary and was made man and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. The third day he rose again according to the scriptures and ascended into heaven. And if Jesus had not gone to do all of this for us, there would be nothing for us to confess. There would be nothing for us to believe, you see? So it's, worth, it, it, it's important to understand that he did all of this, and so he's the author, founder of our faith. And it's worth pointing out that he had not completed his work when Peter denied him. He wouldn't let Peter off, but Peter wasn't in the same shoes as a lot of Christians today. Peter, Jesus had not yet completed all of that work. Peter could not have had a fully formed faith until Jesus died on the cross and was raised from the dead. But whatever the case, Jesus is the author of our faith. Hebrews also says that Jesus is the perfecter of our faith. He didn't just complete his work and say, okay, believe it, because that would probably put us, that would end us all back up on the side of Peter in the juxtaposition. Jesus builds that faith and strengthens it in us. And this he does with the ministry of the word. It is vital for our faith to hear the word of God. It is vital for our faith to eat the word of God. It is vital for our faith to pray to the word of God. Jesus is the word of God, and the scriptures are the God-given testimony to Jesus. Jesus uses the ministry of the word in the church to build up our faith and perfect our faith. So that fellow I told you about earlier whose faith is weakening has been in churches that have neglected the ministry of the word. Generally, he has not been hearing God's word taught and preached. My wife actually went to one of the services, went to visit them, and uh, went to their church and her set through the worship service. And the sermon was basically about how you need to be um, you need to be more faithful in your finances and how you organize your finances than corporations are. That's what she told me. That was the point of the sermon. Now that might be wise. But is that preaching the gospel? Is that preaching the good news of Jesus Christ? And even if you want to make that point, it better tie in somehow (laughs) to Jesus Christ and what he's done for us. So that's what he's been hearing, those kinds of things. He's not been hearing God's word taught and preached. And that has the side effect of softening the Lord's Supper. Because the Lord's Supper should never be served without the preaching of the word. And the preaching of the word presents the promises and the, the um, truth of God that is what the, the, the whole Lord's Supper depends on and what Christ has done for us. So to soften 
the message of the gospel softens the, the table. In this kind of a church where that's happening, and this happens in a lot of churches, in that kind of church context, faith weakens and it becomes deformed. Jesus does not perfect our faith with politics or social progress or seeking the pleasures of our culture. It's not how he's perfecting it. He perfects it with the church faithfully preaching and teaching the gospel. If you go out and you start, uh, for some reason, end up in a church or in a context where it's trying to just simply accommodate to what the culture is saying and, and, and somehow validate the pleasures we seek in this culture or somehow uh, turn into a pulpit stump, a political stump where people can come in here and make their political uh, pitches to you or, or whatever. If it becomes something like that, you're going to wilt and your faith is going to slide towards Peter's denial. It may not go all the way by God's grace, but that's where it's going to be headed. God, or Jesus perfects our faith with the church faithfully preaching and teaching the gospel. So stay under the ministry of the word. That's how you get across the juxtaposition of denial of Jesus to the faithful affirmation of Jesus. May our Lord Jesus Christ continue to perfect your faith in him. Let us pray. Almighty God and merciful Father, it is only by the faithful testimony and work of your Son, Jesus Christ, that your faithful people offer you true and laudable service. Grant that we may run with perseverance the race set before us without stumbling to obtain your heavenly promises. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. So now we stand on the side of affirming the faith that we have been taught, and we do that with our creed. Let us stand and confess our faith. We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of his Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, through whom all things were made, for us and for our salvation, came down from heaven, was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary, and was made man, and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. And the third day he rose again, according to the scriptures, and ascended into heaven, and is seated at the right hand of the Father. And he shall come again with glory to judge both the living and the dead, whose kingdom shall have no end. And we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets. And we believe in one holy, Catholic, and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and we look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Our hymn is number 159, O Jesus, Precious Jesus.
story in the Old Testament about Abraham and Sarah and how the Lord came to them and shared a meal at Abraham's tent. And the Lord was present also at the meal with Israel at the foot of Mount Sinai, just like the risen Lord Jesus Christ took a meal with his disciples after he rose from the dead. And like Abraham, they did not recognize Jesus at first. And now he comes to us once more, and here it is his table, and we are his guests along the whole church. Guests of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Come and find the gospel of salvation, the hope for your hopelessness, joy for your sorrow, purpose for your life, and never-failing never guidance of the Lord your God. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup also, after supper, saying, This cup, which is poured out for you, is the new covenant in my blood. But behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me at the table. We do receive Christ as he makes himself known in Scripture, sermon, and sacrament. And having again heard the voice of Christ in Scripture and sermon, let us now come to his table and receive his gifts. All who have been baptized, who have professed faith in Christ, and are communicant members of a Christian church are welcome to come and share in this joyful feast of our Lord. Join with me now in giving thanks to God for our new life and salvation in Jesus Christ. The Lord be with you. And also with you. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right to give him thanks and praise. We give you thanks, Almighty God, because you have created us in your image. You have given us a world full of good things. But most of all, you sent your beloved Son, who though he was equal with you, and truly God became a man and lived among us as the servant of your salvation. He was obedient even to die on the cross so that we might pass from death to life. He was put to death for our trespasses and raised for our justification. And therefore, with all of heaven, right now, we praise your great and glorious name, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God of hosts, heaven and earth are full of the majesty of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And now we pray that you would consecrate this bread and this cup so that our eating of this bread and drinking of this cup may be for us a participation in the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we do receive it with faith. We've professed that faith that the church has professed from the very beginning, that Christ has died, that Christ has risen, and Christ will come again. We thank you that even as there is one bread and one cup, so the church is one, and together with all your holy people, we have been united to Christ. We praise you and glorify you forever, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom all good things come, and who has blessed us with the life-giving Spirit. To you is all the honor and glory, along with the Father and the Holy Spirit, and we offer our thanksgiving with one voice and say together, Amen. Amen. The Lord Jesus Christ took the bread and after giving thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And he also took the cup, saying, This cup is the cup of the new covenant sealed in my blood, shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. As often as you drink it, do this in remembrance of me.
Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Take and eat this bread and drink this cup and remember Christ's body and blood given for you. Receive it with faith and thanksgiving. Take and eat and drink. Let us pray. Almighty God, Heavenly Father, we give you eternal praise and thanks that you have been so gracious to us, a poor and weak people. You've drawn us to your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, whom you have delivered to death for us and given to be our nourishment and our dwelling to eternal life. Grant that we may never let go of these things from our hearts, but always grow and increase in faith to you which through the love of Christ is effective for all good works. And so may our whole life be devoted to your praise and the building up of our neighbors. Through the same Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord. Amen. Our final hymn is number 518, Christ of all my hopes to crown.
Please be seated. And a very good morning to you all. It's wonderful to see you. Um, I do have, there are all the usual announcements, but uh, I do have several, uh, I guess, announcements that are either not in the bulletin or need to be spelled out, so if you'll bear with me for a moment. Um, the first thing I would like to address is the, uh, there's going to be some uh, slight changes. Uh, as you know, the session's been kind of considering the, the structure of um, the Lord's Supper, and um, so we are going to make uh, one change, or I guess a one major change starting next week, Um, and that is uh, the removal of this uh, secondary table. Uh, There are, if you're interested in in, uh, all the various things that we considered, um, certainly you can talk to any member of the session and and we can go through them, but the biggest thing that we didn't care for or don't care for is the idea of having like the table and then sort of a JV table down front. Um, so starting next week, uh, we'll still be coming forward uh, to take the Lord's Supper. Uh, we'll still be avoiding uh, kind of the, um, the the pre-COVID system of uh, sometimes wrestling each person having the, the entire um, uh, bread in their hands and, and ripping pieces. But so you'll come forward and uh, pastor will have uh, the bread um, kind of in front of the main table. Um, and so he will be distributing that. And then you will, um, as you normally return to your seats off to the sides, uh, uh, another member of the session will have the, um, the cups there. And so you'll get the bread in the center, kind of rotate to the side, and then return to your seat. And then we'll continue to all um, uh, eat and drink together at the same time. Um, is that anybody want to add to that? Yes, so two elders. So there'll be one on each side, so you'll, you'll rotate uh, out your normal way. Yes? If I understand rightly, we will be going up those two steps. No. No. No, so... Pastor will be here, and, and so you'll be coming where I'll the go down. Is. Yes, he'll be coming down mm-hmm. to there. Okay, and if there are any... If there's anything we overlooked, if you have any particular concerns with this, please, um, there, there are, I know, a wide variety of opinions on this, and it was uh, not, with, uh, not with brief deliberation. Um, it's, uh, it's interesting for something that we all know to be so important uh, that there's so little um, agreed-upon structure, depending on where you go, as far as this is the way it has to be done. Um, and also, if there are any concerns in terms of mobility or anything else, please, like we are happy to... Um, accommodate those, and uh, as as we've always taken communion to, you know, uh, people working nursery or things like that. So, um, anyway, if you have any concerns, uh, please let us know. But starting next week, yes. I'm going to add that I'll have regular bread. Yes, we will continue to have both the regular and the gluten-free um, breads separated. Okay. Um, so we'll, we'll as, as always, when we've made these changes, I'm sure there'll be a, a quirk or two that we haven't thought through, but we will do the best we can with it. Um, second announcement, uh, and this is uh, listed very briefly in your bulletin, um, but uh, we will be collecting the, the, the thank offering uh, on behalf of the, the uh, denomination. And so if you would consider... Uh, donating to that. This is a special annual collection, and it goes to support. Uh, I'll send out like an, an email that has uh, with a reminder that has the full things, but um, foreign missions and home missions and Christian education and something else that I has slipped my mind. Um, but uh, this is kind of the special, um, I guess, uh, once a, once a year at Thanksgiving time um, way to support those particular ministries of the OPC. And uh, 
obviously, like as we, I think um, maybe Mr. Roberts or somebody mentioned in, a, in an announcement not long ago, um, that obviously, like, yep, we have we have inflation, we have rising prices, we have you know wallets are tightening, um, and uh, this it is a chance to. Um, you know, give in, in a way giving out of our poverty, as our Lord uh, praised in, um, in in the widow who had nothing but gave her her last mites. And um, anyway, so just please consider supporting that to whatever extent you can, and continue to support our other ministries like the diaconal, uh, the the food pantry, and the um, Arab American Friendship Center, and things like that. Um, all right, number three um, of the various announcements, which I'm going to have an announcement, not just an announcement, but a plug. But uh, starting next week, we're going to be getting a new series um, in our Christian education time, and we are going to be using a little um, booklet uh, Martin Luther uh, wrote that basically takes uh, the Christmas story, and, and it's really from the kind of a variety of like the individual stories uh, that are into what we would collectively call the Christmas story. So uh, the perspective of Mary or the shepherds or the um, uh, you know the wise men or whoever and um, I just I, I really I'm looking forward to this uh, you know growing growing up uh, growing up Lutheran uh, we had our little you know Advent services on Wednesday nights that were kind of uh, you know that preparation for Christmas and um, as I was walking around this this week uh, I, I I ran uh, ran a couple of errands and I went to Home Depot and uh, among the other enormous inflatables, uh, Christmas inflatables, which includes uh, a nice manger scene, if you would like to get your hands on that. But the real centerpiece at Home Sebo of what Christmas is all about was a, uh, a seven-foot-tall uh, Santa Claus dueling, uh, you know, when you walk by, it says stuff at you. Um, and so it was dueling as you walked down the aisle with a seven-foot-tall Grinch who sang songs from you from the TV classic. Um, and uh, then I went to Costco, where you can buy Advent calendars, uh, including uh, Advent calendars where once a day you can open up a uh, Lego minifigure. Uh, there's also an Advent calendar where you can open up a shot of alcohol each day in preparation. Um, and so it, uh, it just struck me that even for those of us who, you know, keep Christ in Christmas or know what Christmas is about, um, how much I was looking forward to some time with other uh, believers to just think about it. Um, it is... Uh, actually, a, th- a third place this occurred to me in my in my class this week, my high school class. I was doing a little lesson on um, like the, the the way that you know what does what does it mean that it's 2022 and how is that dating system invented and what do these suffixes mean and uh, thinking that the the people who invented that were fifth uh, century European and therefore Christian um, scholars and uh, you know when they sat down when you don't know what day one was you got to pick an important thing and count in both directions and they. You know, agreed that the most significant thing, literally, that had ever happened was God became a human. Like that was it. And so, um, you know, it obviously gives me a, a back door to talk about Jesus in school. But it all—it's also like this is the biggest thing that ever happened. It's—it's it's bigger than bigger than Lego and the Grinch. So, anyway, if you would join us for Christian education, this will be, um, I guess, pre-Advent. Uh, Advent wouldn't formally start till later this month. But um, So the next two Sundays, uh, then there'll be two Sundays where we do not have Christian education. We don't usually have it um, on the week of Thanksgiving because of a lot of people traveling. And then the next uh, would be the, the fellowship meal in December. Uh, but then the next two in December uh, will also be part of this series, and uh, each member, each current member of the session, will be leading one of those. So uh, please join us to 
to ponder the biggest thing that ever happened. Like, God became man. It really happened. Um, so, um, finally, related to next Christian education, I really hope all of you stay for next week's, number one, because that's the one that I get to lead, but number two, because after, at least since I started coming here, of just talking about having our carpets cleaned, thanks to Alan, we are actually going to have our carpets cleaned. Um, so a little, yes, I see some applauding, some smiles, and uh, so anyway... However, what that's going to take, of course, is all this stuff that is currently sitting on the carpet needs to be not sitting on the carpet or as little as possible. So following Christian education next Sunday, um, we are going to, uh, anybody who's willing to help out, we're going to try to move as many chairs as we can onto non-carpeted floors, even if that means shoving them in a bathroom or a kitchen or something. Um, So if you would uh, come along to assist us in that uh, enormous game of Jenga, um, it's going to be pretty amazing. But it would be very helpful and save uh, save a, uh, you know uh, many hands make light work. So uh, please consider assisting us in that as well. Uh, that is the extent of my prolonged announcements. Would anyone else like to add anything? I, I should add that you probably all know, but maybe someone doesn't, that I have a new granddaughter. Um, yeah, her name's Talitha Arwen. She's eight pounds seven ounces, and based on her name, she's an Aramaic elf. <laughs> it comes from my mother's side. Yeah, unless you're going to sing a song. Yeah, she's doing fine. Yeah, she's recovered. It came. The baby came fast, and she's doing fine. Everybody else? Yeah, uh, Heidi's there right now, and Rebecca came out. So. I think we're done. Are you coming up to sing? Or? <laughs> I think we're done. All right, let's uh, let's go eat together.